0: you <laughs> Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. I am Dave Biddle. I am very happy to be joined by Matt Baxendale. A lot to get into, Bax. Let's start right at the top. We had some VIP intel, as we like to call it, some inside information that we posted on the site last night for our subscribers. Let's get into the details there. I was told by someone I trust very much that right now, if they had a game today, Mayan Williams would be the starting running back for the Buckeyes. But four running backs would play a considerable amount kind of almost tied for second. In my sources opinion is master Teague and in no particular order, master Teague, Travion Henderson and Marcus Crowley. And he thinks in his opinion, it should be Teague would be fourth, but that's his opinion. The fact is that right now, according to this source, mine Williams would be the starting running back. And then those other three guys would play a lot. And then, you know, by midseason they'd shake it down to one or two main guys. What are your thoughts on that? Do you like this development? Are you buying it?
1: Well, I've been of the opinion for a while now, having seen some of these other running backs, that Master Teague is going to be this year's lightning rod player on the team. By that, I'm going to invoke past controversies surrounding players like JT Barrett and Tuff Borland, where a lot of people saw them as just being in the way of more talented younger players based purely on seniority. That's kind of a spot Teague's in right now, is that we've seen what he is, right? He's a good north-south runner. He's a good locker room character guy, all that stuff. What he's not is a guy that has any vision or wiggle to him or can really catch the ball well out of the backfield. So I'm thoroughly unsurprised to hear that Mayan Williams is ahead of him already and that two of the younger guys, in terms of Crowley and, and Henderson, have at least equaled him, if not come close to exceeding him. Teague is really good if there's a hole to hit and he can run through it. If his designated hole to run through is blocked up, he'll get shuffle feet and run into people and get two yards, right? That's just what he is at this point. And I can see him over the course of the year having his role reduced to being more of a goal line style back uh, where they need to get that one or two yards, right? I'm not surprised by this. I am intrigued. Almost fascinated to see how it actually plays out, though, because you know how coaches are about senior players and having, quote, waited their time, and a guy like Teague who rehabbed from a herd Achilles last year in spring ball to be back to play and, you know, be a, be a large contributor on a team that made the national championship game. In most places, we wouldn't even be considering replacing somebody like this. Kind of like the same discussion we had with Borland and Barrett. By most places' standards, They're excellent. They were very good college players. But most places isn't Ohio State, where you have multiple elite-level young players waiting to get on the field. And the question shouldn't be, is he good enough? The question should be, who's the best, right? There's no such thing as good enough. It's what's the best you have, right? And the decision everybody always talks about is benching Jalen Hurts for Tua Tagovailoa and the year Alabama won the national championship game, right? That's the decision everybody's going to go back to when it comes to valuing seniority over talent. And Ryan Day is at a crossroads now where, you know, is he going to decide to play what appears to be the more talented players, or is he going to go with the seniority and safety of a guy like Master T? There's a lot of political intrigue around the running back position right now for Ohio State. And candidly, I, I, I think the answer is, is that you should be going with the better players. If you have two guys that are equal and the younger one is significantly younger, like Trivion Henderson hasn't played in a year and is a true freshman who enrolled early and he's already as good, maybe we should get him more reps because he's going to be a lot more valuable player in the, the medium term. So I guess we're going to have to see. But right now I'm not shocked at all whatsoever that the VIP intel that you've pulled out here, Dave, is saying that Teague could be the fourth best running back. That's what our eyeballs tell us.
0: Yeah, and if you're a Mayan Williams fan, uh, you're taking this as good news. Travion Henderson, you're taking this as very good news. So uh, leading off the show with some good news, especially if you're a Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson fan, let's get into some more possible good news. Word is leaking out that Henry To'o To'o the transfer from Tennessee, the middle linebacker, sounds like he's leaning toward Ohio State. And this could happen in the relatively near future, it sounds like, or Bill Curlic is all over this. Again, not official, but it's looking good backs that the Bucs are going to land Henry Toho Yeah,
1: it's not Tutu. It's Toho for all of you who have no idea how to pronounce his name, which I also just learned today, even though I watched like seven Tennessee games last year from third to finish.
0: So, well, my my neighbor, my neighbor Phil, who's a big Buckeye fan, and and my friend tells me that he's totally right. With Polynesian names, they pronounce the vowels. That's what you need to remember. They pronounce the vowels, and they they pronounce hard vowels. So Henry To'o To'o, as you said, Bax. Go ahead. It's fun
1: pronunciation in other languages, like in Eastern European languages, like K's are pronounced as J's. Anyways, um, so. The, the fact that Toho is talking to coming to Ohio State, I think, is a big boom for a uh, linebacker core that lost four guys that played virtually all the minutes last year. And the, what appeared to be the number one guy for them uh, coming into spring ball in Dallas Gantt barely played in spring. So I'm, I'm okay with it if he comes here. And this is a guy, by the way, who you can tell he's, he wants to go to Alabama, but the SEC has the rule about interconference transfers. So if that's the case, Ohio State's not only getting a really top-tier linebacker, they're getting one that Alabama really wanted to have. So that's a win for us in the big picture on the hyper-elite level where you're just trying to make sure you beat Alabama and, and, and Clemson for some of these kids. So I think Ohio State needs that veteran experience in the linebacker board. Bringing Toho Toho in is an excellent stopgap as some of these younger guys learn their way. And it's not that I'm st- not still high on guys like Taraja Mitchell or Dallas Gann. I am. I think there's a lot of really good talent there. But there is something to be said about having at least a little bit of experience in terms of breaking guys in. toe o needs to make a decision, though, and get here and start learning the playbook so that he can hit the ground running whenever fall camp begins. And he needs to make sure he's here to go through summer workouts. So hopefully he's able to make that decision in the near future. But if Ohio State lands him, that's a big deal. That's a big win. And that's a big-time player coming to Columbus for a year.
0: Yeah, I would love it, and it sounds like it's going to happen. Again, not official, but at this point, it sounds more likely than not, to use a legal term, that Henry Toa Toa will be a Buckeye. All right, we started the show off with some good news. Let's get into some not-so-good news. This is not new, but I have not talked to you about this since it happened on Sunday. Of course, I think everybody listening to the show knows by now, Dason McCullough, decommitted from Ohio State, uh, has committed to Indiana to play with his brothers. Also, his father is a coach there. Dylan McCullough is the running backs coach and the associate head coach coming over from the Kansas City Chiefs where he was the running backs coach. So, um, like I said on Monday show backs, I'm never going to fault a kid for wanting to play with his family. It stinks for the Buckeyes, but, you know, I mean, I wish this kid luck. I don't have a problem with this at all.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the basics of this is the kid's dad got a job at a school that's his alma mater. Uh, and then his oldest son is transferring there. His younger son is now decommitted from OSU to go there.
0: Well, just to be clear, his Dylan McCullough senior went to Miami of Ohio. He, I'm he, sorry. That's okay. It's okay. Go ahead.
1: I thought he had Indiana ties for some reason. So I mean, did he coach there before?
0: He might have, but he was a really, really good running back at Miami of Ohio, like set records. Um There was a really good, like. Uh, e60 piece on how he didn't know his father and everything that turned out to be this guy who was that his that run this guy was his running backs coach at miami and they didn't even know they were father and son because he was like you know um separated from birth you know from his mother and father and all this it was a, it's a crazy story but dealing and jim trestle was interviewed on the piece because trestle really was trying to get him to go to youngstown state at the time so anyway dealing mccullough went. he might have had ties to indiana after his playing days but um He was a big-time running back at Miami of Ohio.
1: That's right. Uh, that, That was one of the craziest stories I've ever seen in my life. So, anyways, so knowing it's that guy, by the way, it's even harder to hate on him um can you imagine your position coach turns out to be your father when you grew up without one i in the know
0: game. isn't that i know like you said it's like the craziest story of ever i still have it saved on my dvr much to my wife's chagrin it's like the only live sporting event that, well i have the the last dance saved on there too which i really don't need to since i have netflix and it's on netflix but i have all of the, the last dance episodes on there because i'm a huge jordan fan and i still have the e60 with dylan mccullough and his father it blows my mind that they didn't know they were father and son until like years later that's it's Crazy. I, I encourage everybody to go watch that E60. I'm sure you can find it on the internet. Dylan McCullough E60. I'm sure it'll pop right up. Go ahead, Bax.
1: I couldn't imagine growing up without a dad and then a guy who becomes your surrogate father figure, you find out is actually your dad. That's just crazy. But anyways, back to what we were talking about, but about Desan McCullough. So his dad's at Indiana, he's one of the big coaches there. His big brother's transferring there. He's going there, and there's a little brother, you know, who's going to end up there in the 2023 class. So you can't hate on somebody for for playing with family, and that is totally fine. Um, I'm intrigued, though, to see how this goes, because Indiana suddenly seems like it has a pulse with Tom Allen, which, you know, it's crazy to think that we're talking about Indiana as, as good, but that's what they were last year, right? And if they're able to start bringing in coaches who were part of Super Bowl staffs and getting recruits involved at their school who are legitimately high quality recruits. Like Daison McCullough. I don't know the last time Indiana got a recruit anywhere near his caliber in football and frankly in basketball, it's been a while too, but like, if they're able to start bringing in some talent along with the Tom Allen train, then you're going to be talking about a a program that could be reasonably impressive. Certainly a more dangerous program uh, than what we're seeing in Ann Arbor right now. So you know, good for Indiana for starting to get it together. I don't know how I'm going to go through my falls, though, without Indiana being a guaranteed layup win for OSU. Like, I literally do not remember OSU ever losing to them because the last time it happened, I was three. So, you know, that's going to be interesting to see. But I don't think, you know, McCullough is going to take anybody from the OSU class with them. That OSU is building as one of the best in the country in 2022. I don't think there's any worries about anything like that. But I do think that you're going to end up seeing – uh the, the entire McCullough clan gathering in Bloomington. And, you know, of all the reasons for kids to decommit from OSU, and we've had some whoppers over the year, uh, this is the best one. And I just wish him nothing but luck except when he plays the Buckeyes.
0: Well said. Let's finish the show talking about the NFL draft. I cannot wait. First round tomorrow, we're finally going to see where Justin Fields goes. I'm going to get your thoughts on where – Jay Fields is going to go, and how many Buckeyes overall will be taken during the three-day event? I think it might be 11. There's a couple guys that are on the fence. I'm confident there's going to be at least nine. Justin Hilliard might be on the fence, although I think he's going to get drafted. The only reason he's on the fence, as we all know, is because of the history of injuries. But, man, he balled out. Uh, as a sixth-year senior this last year, so I think he will get drafted. He also tested well, but the medicals puts him on the fence, puts him on the bubble a little bit. Luke Farrell is another guy that could be on the bubble. I think if you're a team looking for a tight end, now obviously not a guy to come in and start, a guy that could, can be a, you know, a solid player for you, maybe become a starter in year three and four of his rookie contract. Luke Farrell might be a good pick in the sixth round, in my opinion. He's another guy that's probably on the fence backs. So here's the guys that I've jotted down that I think are going to get drafted. Uh, Justin Fields, obviously. You're looking at Josh Myers. You're looking at Wyatt Davis, Tommy Togiai, uh, Pete Werner. I already talked about Hilliard and Farrell. uh, Trey Sermon, Sean Wade, Jonathan Cooper, and Baron Browning in no particular order there. I started to go in order, then I didn't. So that's 11 guys right there. Do you think all 11 will get taken? Am I leaving anybody out? How many Buckeyes will get taken in this draft? And where do you think Fields is going to go?
1: Well, you hit on the topic of my entire bucket last Sunday.
0: So this I'm, is right I'm always good at this, man. Like, I, I scooped you on, on the Georgia was the one leaking the stuff to the NFL about fields before you did the bucket. You're going to have to start telling me, hey, man, this is what I'm writing in the bucket, so don't talk about it on the show and, and spoil the bucket. Hey, this was last weekend's bucket, so read the bucket. <laughs> oh, I got so- you. Wow, my bad, my bad.
1: There we go. Everybody reads the bucket, but Biddle this week. Come on, Dave. My feelings are hurt. Uh, anyway. My,
0: my fault. My fault.
1: So, I agree with you. 11's the number. Um, I, I think that there, you could theoretically make an argument for Drew Christman or Tough Borland, but I don't think either of them get picked. Um, I, I do think that Hilliard and Farrell are going to be late rounders. They're the most in question. And I think with the first round Thursday night, we're going we're to find out where Justin Fields and Baron Browning go. Because, dang it, I'm doubling down on my insane prediction of Baron Browning uh, moving up to be a late first-round pick. Yes, it's insane. I'm aware. But you know what? There was a tweet that I mentioned in the Bucket of Bullets that Pro Football Focus put out that said, based on the athletic predictors to indicate that a player could be an elite-level linebacker, Baron Browning was one of two players to score a 99 in the country. That's the kind of athleticism that's going to make teams fall in love with them. And the last two picks in the first round belong to teams that play three, four defenses that attack downhill. And right now are in position to be looking for an outside linebacker. So as for Justin Fields, this is all idiotic to me that he's not just, we're not talking about whether he should be number one. We're talking about whether the Niners are going to take Mac Jones. If the Niners are dumb enough to take Mac Jones, then I don't want Justin Fields to go there. Um, there's a bunch of questions right now as to where he's going to land. He's the most intriguing player in the draft because I think most of the league is looking to trade up to five if he's still available at this point. Uh, so number one is going to be Lawrence. Number two is going to be Zach Wilson. I think we all think that's kind of locked in place because, you know, urban ones, Trevor and the uh, jets are just dumb, but at three, that's the big question. I think that's the perfect landing spot for fields. He can learn for a year behind Jimmy G and, then step into a role on a really talented team. But if Kyle Shanahan's not on board with him and there's a lot of debate, apparently that some of their scouts are really high on Trey Lance. Well, um, Shanahan wants Mac Jones because he sees him as a Kirk Cousins style player. Then if that's the case, I'm glad Justin Fields won't go there because somebody's going to lose their job. And the other people are going to blame it on the quarterback, just like we saw with Dwayne Haskins in Washington. So Atlanta at four is a really logical landing spot, except one of my, uh, ATL folks from my time down there pointed something out, which is that they have a, a dead cap hit on Matt Ryan of $20 million next year, regardless of whether or not he's on the team. They don't have much cap space left. They're considering trying to deal Julio. And there's a lot of talk about them just taking Kyle Pitts because he's a top five talent anyways. And they want to see if Matt Ryan can get it back together. So then you get to five and you got Denver, who just took Drew Locke a little while back. And that's when you have to start to wonder if teams are going to start trading up to get Justin Fields. So if Fields doesn't go at three, I think he goes somewhere between five and seven. And I think it's because a team trades up to get him. I'm sure the Lions would love to take him. They'd fall all over themselves if he falls that far. But I, I don't think that he's going to make it there because I think somebody like the Patriots is, is floating waiting to take him. So he's going to be fascinating to watch in this draft. I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if the surprise team that's not on the list right now took him. As long as it's not the Jets, though, I guess it's probably okay. But you want him to go somewhere where he has a little bit of time to learn behind an established quarterback. So some of the people predicting that Justin Fields goes like 30 seconds overall are out of their mind. So I, I, I can't wait for this to be over. And, you know, we've heard all kinds of arguments. There was a post on the, the front row yesterday that said that teams are wary of his vegan diet because they think it makes him more injury-prone, even though the kid – didn't miss a start because of injury he missed like one snap because of injury in two years so you know at this point I'm glad to get this over with all the smoke screens are out of the way then if field does go high then this is one of the greatest rounds of smoke screens we'll have ever seen like if he suddenly just like the Jets pick him then I'm gonna go wow that's the first thing the Jets have done well convincing everybody else they were taking Zach Wilson so You know, I can't wait for it to be here. I do think you're going to have 11 Buckeyes picked, which would be their most since 2016's draft after that 2015 team that was absurdly talented was the core of the 2014 National Championship. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a good day for the Buckeyes. I think you're going to see a lot of guys go between the second and fourth round as well, even though they're only going to have one or two first rounders.
0: Great stuff from the people's champ, Matt Baxendale. You can catch his column every Sunday. It is the aforementioned bucket. Thanks again to Bax. Thank you to all the listeners out there for tuning into the show. We appreciate that very much. I hope all of you have a great day. Let's hear that Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land. <laughs>